All right, and welcome to Realtor Fight Club. Now we are doing our special series called What Would You Do? And this series airs every Wednesday. And today my guest is Louise Potter. Hey, Louise. Hello, how are you? Great, how are you? Great, thanks. Good, and she is our designated managing broker at EXP. So she's always yelling at me. No, just kidding. No. (laughs) (laughs) But you have a good case for us today. You want to tell us about it? I do. This is, um, it's related to Article 16 of the Code of Ethics, and it's kind of relevant for today's market. Uh, You know, I'm trying to pick things that we're running into on a fairly frequent basis because all of the cases under professional standards have gone sky high. You know, we're we're seeing more cases, more hearings, more complaints being filed. I just had two come up today that I'm going to be sitting on a panel that are from the public. So- These are all really timely topics. It's a really tense, tense time. Let me, do you have the code with you? I want to read it. I have it, I think. I do. Um, Would you like me to read 16? There are a lot of standards of practice, but the actual code um, 16, article 16 says, realtors shall not engage in any practice or take any action inconsistent with exclusive representation or exclusive brokerage relationship agreements that other realtors have with clients. That's interesting. You know, um, Saul Klein and I just talked on our, uh, on the podcast about what, it was similar, but it was like that they knew that you were representing them. Like they understood Mm -hmm. it. You know what I mean? So it's not only like the representation, but it's also like understanding what that means. Right. Right. Well, this this case study that I have comes straight from the the arbitration manual, the the okay. ethics and arbitration manual, and it is one of the case studies that we use to support decisions. Oh, great. Okay, we're so, ready. Um, and it was adopted in May of 2019, and it's ascertaining whether a consumer is subject to an exclusive representation agreement. What's our responsibility in finding out if that other person does already have an existing agreement? Okay. So you want me to go ahead and go into the case? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. Um, Realtor A, it's always Realtor A, was holding an open house for their client's home, which has been on the market for several months. It's not in today's market, but what can you say? Right. So Realtor A was thrilled to see buyer C approach the home after two hours with no visitors. Realtor A gave her a tour of the space, but buyer C indicated she was looking for more of a fixer-upper as she had almost single-handedly completed some significant renovation projects in her previous homes and was looking for the perfect next project. Realtor A had another listing that she knew was perfect for buyer C and hadn't been listed in the MLS yet as the client had just signed their agreement earlier that morning. Realtor A described the home to buyer C and offered to show it to her. Buyer C replied, oh, thank you. I'm actually working with someone. I should probably ask, ask them about it. Realtor A responded, that's fine, but to be honest, I'm not sure if your agent will even get a chance to see it at the price at which it's listed. I'm confident it will sell before I can even get it in the MLS. Somewhat reluctantly, buyer C agreed to let Realtor A show her the second home. Realtor A drafted an offer, which was accepted, and the parties completed a a quick close. 
Proud of a job well done for her client, Realtor A was shocked when she received a notice of an ethics complaint huh. filed against her by Realtor B. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. <laughs> Alleging a violation of Article 16 for interfering with his exclusive relationship with buyer C. So at the hearing, Realtor B provided the hearing panel with copies of this exclusive buyer agency agreement with buyer C. And buyer C testified that she did tell Realtor A she was working with someone, but felt pressured to tour and submit the offer with Realtor A or risk losing the house. Okay, so we've actually, I think, either done this one or done a similar one, but okay. this happens a lot, I think. It does, it really does. Because as like the, as an agent, like people say they're working with somebody, but they really aren't. and. Mm -hmm. And I know also that a lot of agents, when they are working with people, they don't actually have an exclusive. Right. But it's our job to ascertain whether or not they do. Yes. And so have you have to, to like figure that out. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I, I mean, to me, it sounds like they are like, if it were me and I was realtor a, like, first of all, I'm wondering how is this property not, not going to hit the market? I would just call the other agent. And be like, hey, your client is here. I think I have something that they would like better and make arrangements that way. That's what you and I would do. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and, and that is, I mean, that quite frankly is the way I was raised in real yeah. estate. I, I started 32 years ago. And, you know, what you did was if somebody came to your open house and wanted to buy the house, you wrote the offer in the other agent's name. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, we, yeah. we, if they couldn't get there and they couldn't take care of it, then we wrote the offer because that was taking care of our client right. in ensuring a good buyer. Yeah. But when it comes to the law and to the code of ethics, you know, you do need to ascertain, you need to ask the question. Well, so, that sounded like, even if she didn't ask the buyer was like, Hey, I'm working with an agent. So then, but at what point I don't know when you've been in sales long enough, you kind of know if somebody's really just like saying that, or if it's, if it's a smoke screen mm -hmm. or if it's like, seems like it's probably real. Cause you could ask a follow-up question. Oh, great. Who is it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that's the point right there that you need to do. That's where you need to do your due diligence. Yeah. Oh, who are you working with? Oh, it's just a friend. That's usually a wall they're throwing up to protect themselves so that you don't call them again. Right. Um, but if they say, oh, I'm working with Sally Jane over at eXp Realty. Right. Hey, that's great. I know Sally Jane. Right. You know what? I'll be glad to let her know you were through my open house. Right. Well, I, you know, we're really not working with her. Well, have you signed anything? Mm-hmm is the next question. Well, no, we haven't signed anything. So you haven't signed any type of an agreement with her that you would work with her exclusively? No, I haven't. That you can rely on. Okay. Both license law says that and the code of ethics says that you can rely if they tell you, no, they're not. I would document it though. Okay. I've sat in enough hearings because where we flow into it this- How would you this, document it? I wouldn't make notes in, you know, in my file, you know, whether I've, I've got it electronically or, you know, a card on the table, whatever, you know, on the 15th or the 16th of March, I met these buyers at an open house. They said they're working with Sally Jane. I asked them if they, you know, so if you've got a paper trail mm -hmm. and you've got notes, 
you become much stronger if this ever goes into a hearing. Okay, yeah. let me ask you this. Okay, so I'm realtor A and that's uh-huh. my open house. And they they said they were not working with somebody. Let's walk down that line. And I, and I asked the questions and they said, no, we're not working with anybody, blah, blah, blah. Then I could say, hey, look, we do have this other house that's coming up. I'm happy to show it to you if you'd be comfortable. And then you go into the dual agency conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And you then- can. You know, at that point I say, would you have time to sit down? Let's talk. Okay. Because I want to find out, I do a buyer interview for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You should always do. So yeah, I want to sit down and I want to make sure this person really can buy that house before I go and, you know, cause I promised my seller I'm bringing ready, willing, and able buyers. Right. So I need to find out if this truly is a ready, willing, and able buyer. So let's say you did, you did all that. You did the uh-huh. consultation. They, you know, have agreed to work with you. You have a buyer agreement signed. Mm-hmm. Get it signed people. Yeah. And then you talk about dual agency and you show them like, you're all good. They are not going to, even if they come back and say, I was working with the other agent, they've signed something saying they've worked with you. Then you're getting into procuring cause and unbroken chains of event. Okay. Um, you know, who, who was the proximate cause mm-hmm. for the purchase of that house? Okay. How, how do your reactions and your actions with that buyer you know, reflect what happened with the other agent and the buyer at the same time. But does procuring cause if you're, that's interesting. We should do that next time. So does procuring cause, if you're not exclusive, does it matter? Uh, Procuring cause does matter because again, it is the proximate cause whose actions resulted in the sale of that home. Okay. You, You, quite frankly, we're taught in professional standards that the the absence or the presence of an agreement is kind of tangential to the whole scenario. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it is, you know, did this person's actions result in the sale of the home or did this person's actions? Right. I've had people who have paralleled yeah. each other, not knowing about the other's existence. Right both of whom had things signed. I mean, there's nine times out of 10 is the buyer who's causing all of this. So, you know, it's looking at it. Is there a break in the chain? Where did the, where did that break happen? Why did that break happen? Mm -hmm. Was there abandonment? There are a whole lot of issues there. And that kind of comes back to this article 16 as well. Um, But for this one though, it's more, this one is so realtor, the buyer's agent realtor mm-hmm. that presented stuff saying like, Hey, I am working with this buyer. Right. And the buyer also said, Hey, I am working with that other agent. Right. So I assume that you all, not you, but the, whoever the committee was found that the agent A was in the wrong here. Would you like to hear the results? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. The hearing panel decided that Realtor A had violated Article 16. Right. That was clear. Yeah. As standard of practice, 16.9 provides realtors prior to entering into a representation agreement have an affirmative obligation to make reasonable efforts to determine whether the prospect is subject to a current valid exclusive agreement to provide the same type of real estate service. 
as Realtor A had made no affirmative effort to ascertain whether Buyer C's relationship with another agent was exclusive or not, the hearing panel concluded she had made no reasonable efforts to determine the nature of the relationship as required by Article 16. Are there other relationships? I mean, I guess there can be relationships that are not exclusive, but to your point, you would find that out if you were like, hey, let's sit down and talk. And when you did your buyer consultation and had them at some point in between then and when you had them sign an exclusive with you, you would find that out. Yes. And that's why you do that. Right. You find out if, if there's someone else that they've been working with, you find out if they're ready, willing, and able right now to buy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I interview, I, I, like I say, I do a buyer interview with everybody and I got to the financing step in my buyer interview with one buyer years ago and she burst into tears. I said, I'm sensing an issue here. <laughs> and, you know, she couldn't buy right then. And it was, it, she wanted to in the worst way, but she couldn't do it. She just, phys- you know, financially couldn't do it. So we, well, we sat down with a lender, we went through, we made a plan and she worked for the next five years to be able to buy that a house. Wow. And over that time, she referred people to me. Nice. Those, that whole period of time, because I was the only one that took the time to sit down, talk to her, educate her, put together a plan and I kept in touch with her. That's awesome. She was great. I loved it. And she cried at closing. She was Aww. a crier, but you know, it was so sweet. Well, when you work that hard too, it's like a relief when it finally happens, you know? It is, it is. But, you know, when you're sitting down with somebody and if I said, you know, Jennifer, tell me how many houses have you been looking at? Oh, I've seen, you know, 42. Oh, wow. That's a lot of houses. Who have you been looking with? Right. Oh, you know, you kind of dig, you know, I have a list of questions and you start digging out the information what well, sounds to me like you may be really working with somebody. Have you signed anything? Because let me explain how it works. Yeah. You know, I can't cross that agreement. That could get me in a lot of trouble. So, right. you know, where are we with this? Right. I'd love to help you, but I don't but want to step on toes. I mean, we've all been in situations where it's like, there. it seems very obvious they're working with somebody, but they're mm-hmm. like very adamant they are not because Mm -hmm. of maybe a fear that they're going to miss out or something like that. And then I do like your question of like, well, let me explain to you how this works. Like I use that a lot. Let me tell you how this all works, (laughs) you know, because nine times out of 10, it's ignorance. Yeah. They don't know. Right. Or if they don't like it, they'd want the other agent to get paid on it, you know? And then it's like, so now whatever. Yeah. I think just explaining it to them is really helpful. But did you see the Saturday Night Live, the Zillow spoof that they did with, but that's, you know, that's a lot of, you know, that's our reputation in the market, the the agent that was represented there. So, you know, our job isn't sales, it's education. Mm -hmm. And it's educating people as to the market, to what's going to happen, what the expectations are. It's setting them up front. If you do all of that and you don't have realtor A versus realtor B, Right. You know, you just don't, it, it doesn't occur because you've taken the time to do your due diligence and set everything up so that they understand every step of the scenario. And when they start to waver a little bit, you can say, Hey, remember back when we sat down and talked, we discussed this and I've got it right here in my notes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, 
That was a good one. I do like that. And it's, it brings up so many other questions and, and issues. I do have one more question though. If sure. you're on a, if you're like sitting on the panel on a case and mm-hmm. there's another violation that comes up, but wasn't charged, do you guys proceed with that new violation or is it just off the table because nobody ever complained? We, they can, the, it, there's a two-step process when it gets to a hearing. Okay. And the first step is the grievance committee. So the grievance committee is the one who first receives the complaint. Okay. And they're like the grand jury. Okay. So they sit down and they look at everything and decide whether or not if the facts as presented, you know, because mm-hmm. all they, they have in the grievance committee is the complaint. Okay. They don't have supporting documentation. They don't have responses. They don't have any of that. So if they look at that and, and you know, they determine that there is basis for moving forward and sending it on to professional standards, mm-hmm. they can add other articles okay. to the complaint if they see other things within it. Okay. They can delete certain articles that they don't feel are relevant. So okay. they can tweak it before it goes on to professional standards. Once it gets to us, we can't. You're just going, does this, did this violate the grievance? Basically. Right. Got it. That makes sense. Now we can, when it comes to, you know, like in an ethics hearing, you know, we're looking at just what's come from the grievance committee and okay. the articles that, you know, they have added. We can, however, you know, in the penalty phase, not only is there, you know, a letter in your file and those kinds of things, and there's different levels of them, we can recommend education. Mm-hmm. So if we see things that people really need to learn, because nine times out of 10, this is an education thing, not yeah, a deliberate so thing. Rules. Let's be honest. Yeah. But we can point them to education that we think would help them overall within the, the bearing of the case. Right. That makes sense. Cool. Well, I really appreciate you being on. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for asking me. I love doing this kind of stuff. I really do. I enjoy it. Like I said, I, this kind of trips my trigger and, you know, I like keeping people safe and making sure we do the best we can. So well, let's do it anytime. Again. Thank you. Thanks.